Radio Network. We actually did research all the way back to the first school shooting in Pennsylvania, one room schoolhouse in 1764. And we did find that the Pearl, Mississippi shooting was stopped by a assistant principal who retrieved his 45 caliber pistol that was issued by National Guard. So I can see all sides of this issue, and that was brought out in this conversation, that there are circumstances, extreme circumstances, where it might be appropriate and others where it's completely inappropriate. Hello and welcome to Reality Check, where we look at education issues beyond the talking points. I'm L. St. Clair Smith. Thank you all. Really appreciate you being here on such short notice. Today we're going to attempt a death-defying feat that apparently is almost impossible to achieve. Namely, have a thoughtful, sober, rational, factual discussion on arming school staff that doesn't end in the phrase, meet me in the schoolyard after class and we'll settle this. So with that objective on the table, here are six irrefutable facts. Fact one, there are currently proposals in several states to allow teachers to carry concealed weapons in school. Fact number two, teachers unions came out decisively against that idea. Fact number three, the associations of elementary school principals and secondary school principals came out decisively against that idea as well. Fact number four. Yesterday, I listened as an experienced veteran school superintendent offered the most reasonable rationale I've heard for arming school staff. Fact number five, there was a school in Harold, Texas, that has already been allowing school staff to carry concealed weapons, apparently without incident. And fact number six, yesterday I heard a respected school security specialist with 33 years in the field who has written 23 books on the subject say that they had completed an 18-month study on teachers attempting to defend themselves, suggesting to me that there is evidence available on this issue. So today we're going to do something radically different, bold, hard to imagine, and maybe even unforgivable. We're going to ask for the facts first, then ask opinions on the idea of allowing school staff to carry concealed weapons. We begin with school security specialist Michael Dorn. Michael, what evidence is available on the pros and cons of allowing teachers and or administrators to carry concealed weapons? Well, I don't know so much in terms of evidence. There have been school officials and school staff with firearms either in their office or in a vehicle in this country for many years is very rare. It's not something that we would generally recommend, but I'm not aware of any in terms of a research project that would be germane to the United States. Teachers have been armed in Thailand and in Israel on occasion due to terrorism, but it's not been widespread in this country, and I don't know anybody that has studied it. So if I'm understanding you correctly, there are no significant studies on the pros and cons of allowing school teachers or administrators to carry concealed weapons. Is that correct? None that I'm aware of. Got it. Very good. Let's go over to Gregory Thomas. Gregory is also one of the nation's leading school security specialists. Uh, Gregory, what, if any, evidence are you aware of about the pros and cons of allowing teachers or administrators to carry concealed weapons? None. None. Okay. So for the most part, we are either completely speculating on the pros and cons or we are extrapolating from limited anecdotal data. Is that correct, Gregory? Or personal opinion and on-the-ground experiences, yes. Kind of very good. Michael, would you agree with that as well? I, I would say it's based on, like Greg says, yes, I would. Uh, okay, so at least we now know what we're dealing with, and we have an authentic context for framing the comments that follow. Okay, so let's now go over the pros and cons based on the anecdotal evidence and based on both of your assessments as experts and experienced school security specialists. Michael, you first. What are the pros of allowing school staff to carry concealed weapons from where you stand? The only pros that I see for our country would be in 
extreme situations where you've got a three-hour response time from police or a one-hour response time. It has to be a very unique way it's approached. In other words, the person would need to be former military, former law enforcement, and that type of thing. I see. Very good. And what are the cons? Give us a couple, please. Cons are that overall, it's largely a distracting issue to begin with. It's not where we should be focusing our time, energy, and effort. Based on the research, based on the evidence, based on the experiences, because we know that things like mental simulation, proper use of drills, pattern matching and recognition, evidence-based approaches will reduce the rate of death in our schools from firearms and a hundred other things. And we know that that more children and, and people are killed by lightning strikes at school athletic events in this country on school property than are killed by gunfire. And we've dropped our homicide rate dramatically in the last 30 years, and we just, I think, need to be focusing on expanding things that have been proven to work, and that would be more productive than exploring something that there is no evidence one way or the other for our situation in the United States. Very good, Michael. I appreciate it. Gregory, let's go over to you. Gregory, what are the pros and cons based on your experience and knowledge? Pros are none. You ready for the cons? Absolutely. Schools are are built for teaching and learning. Okay, so therefore, everybody in the building, mostly teachers, are there for one thing, one thing only. Now, if we're asking them to add into their toolkit uh, preparedness um, drills and things like that for events like that, that in itself is stressful as it is. You know, trying to lock your children down, trying to make sure everybody's okay and calm, and then at the same time in your mind, trying to then transfer that stress level to you know, reaching for your firearm or, or trying to confront an armed assailant, it just puts too much on them. And I, I don't think that's where we want to go. And, and secondly, the issue of training is important, too, because in law enforcement, you, you're getting training that's going to ensure that you're up to date with all the latest nuances when it comes to firearm discharges and, and events that will keep you safe and, and firearm integrity, all that. But that's not going to be guaranteed for a teacher. And, and that lack of that guarantee means that they're not going to be as properly prepared to engage an armed uh, assailant in a classroom. Now, you both have indicated that there really is no specific data on the issue of staff carrying concealed weapons in school. So let's talk about some analogous cases, specifically commercial pilots carrying concealed weapons in the cockpit. Many of the arguments that we're hearing against teachers carrying concealed weapons were made against pilots. So far, apparently it's worked well for pilots. And why is the case of pilots not analogous to teachers? Well, there are a variety of issues. that are very different in an airplane versus a classroom. Uh, Greg has already alluded to some of them. And, you know, one issue, too, is the, the cost of training the pilot is very large. Uh, there are also the screening of the pilots that are trained, typically, from my understanding, to have military, prior military service. And so that's why when you try to implement this in a country like Israel, I've worked in Israel before, and it's very different when you have someone who's who's been active duty for the IDF and is in the active reserves and does military service, you know, for one month a year, that's, that's where I get the concern. I understand the way that educators train in this country. And I, 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 again, I go back to, is this the best benefit of our time, money, energy, and resources when more children are dying from choking on hot dogs and uh, peanut butter allergies than even close to what we're seeing with gunfire. So the bottom line is you don't think it's analogous. Gregory, back to you. Is the case of pilots and guns in the cockpit analogous to schools? I don't think so. Again, I, this is being in response to, a, to an ongoing threat which relates to, to terrorism and, and weapons being used in, in a contained area like that where we're talking about training is important and also they're, they're potentially <coughs> backed up by federal marshals or sky marshals who are on the plane, which may 
not even call for the need for the pilot to pull his or her gun. Okay, fair enough. Now, gentlemen, there are two dominant approaches to this issue of preparing staff to defend themselves if necessary. One involves teachers and or administrators having access to weapons. The other involves teachers and or students being prepared to attack the gunmen without guns. Now, Michael, you have studied this issue for 18 months. What does the evidence indicate on the, quote, attack the gunmen concept? Well, it's actually mixed, and Steve Saddley, assistant in this project, he's a security director in Indiana, who's very well-versed on this, and he's prior military, too, by the way. We actually did research all the way back to the first school shooting in America, the first mass casualty event in Pennsylvania, one room schoolhouse in 1764, where all the three occupants of the building were murdered with hatchets and flintlock rifles, and we studied up to the present, and we did find that the Pearl, Mississippi shooting was stopped by a assistant principal who retrieved his 45 caliber uh, pistol that was issued by National Guard, and he stopped Luke Woodham with that gun. The Edinburgh, Pennsylvania dance school dance shooting was stopped by a bartender with a shotgun who came to the scene. And then there was, uh, you know, another uh, event where a shooting was stopped by an armed civilian. Uh, but we're more focused here on cases where people try to attack the gunman or subdue the gunman, and we found... Uh, instances in both public and independent schools, actually, of people being shot attempting to do that, trying to have contact with a shooter. Uh, some were killed. And then we found cases, I've worked cases, where a student or another staff member has tackled somebody and taken a gun. So we've seen both sides of the house. But people are focusing way too much on active shooter with this. And what we're very concerned about, when you look at the research of Dr. Gary Klein and, and others who are experts in the field of how we think and act under life and death stress, our biggest concern is that you will cause a mass casualty event if a single student or staff member who's trained in this thing. Keep in mind, there, there have been kindergarten children trained in these concepts down to kindergarten age level. And we are deeply concerned that a student or a staff member may mm -hmm. see a gun and throw books at people or whatever the various techniques were being taught, which are based on evidence-based approaches to distraction techniques. But they're used by SWAT officers who practice every month and go to weeks of training and soldiers, Navy SEALs use these techniques, but they track this extensively with a variety of scenarios. So if uh, someone brandishes a gun and all they intend to do is intimidate, which is far more common than somebody shooting somebody in school, and someone throws something at them or rushes them, we may now have uh, people shot. There's some research behind some of the specific techniques but there's none to show that these techniques are reliable when it comes to the decision whether to apply them. It is my understanding there's not been a single person thus far trained in these techniques to actually use them. There have been people who contacted a gunman or a person with a weapon who apparently did not have any specific training in it, but just chose to do it. And so again, some have been successful, some have resulted in death. Keep in mind, though, these events are so extraordinarily rare. You could train several million school employees uh, and students on this. And over a 20-year period of time, the chances that any of them would have a chance to use these techniques would be very low. Very good. Okay, Gregory, let's get your take on this. Well, I, I like Michael. I'm against it, too, because I, I also think that teaching students or staff or the like to do this, they'll lose their risk perception. They'll, mm -hmm. they'll think that it's a chance for them to take a chance right now. Mm -hmm. When, in fact, it might not be that chance. And as Michael said, then you have a, a worse disaster than you had before. They took that chance, and here's my analysis for you. 7-Eleven tells their employees that they are not to engage anybody that comes into the store with a gun and tries to rob the place. They say, give them the money, and that's it. 
And a couple of times, a number of employees have taken the, the chance, again, risk perception, to uh, attack the assailant and got away with it, but they were soon out of a job because, again, the policy for 7-Eleven is we don't encourage you to do that. Okay, Gregory, let's unpack this a bit before we move on. You made a comment in another interview that teachers should be prepared to do one of two things, hide or get out, stay in or get out. Is that correct? Did I quote you correctly? Uh, well, um, yeah, stay in stay in, in a relationship to response to a disaster, meaning shelter in place or lockdown, or get out, evacuate based on a fire or a bomb scare. Very good. So going back then to the point that you just made about this notion of attacking, if indeed we are now getting to a scenario where death is imminent, it is clear this is a last resort, there are only two alternatives, fight or die. Why would we not want to have at least the third option available only because you, you basically you're putting the onus on on the teacher or the staff person to interpret what they believe is a fight or flight situation okay and then if you leave it up to them and it's that big and that nebulous then it becomes a slippery slope uh, let's move on then gregory thank you there's a laundry list of concerns expressed by people who don't want school staff armed things like teachers going rambo injuring students innocent bystanders concerns about teachers being mentally capable of handling arms in a crisis scenario now many of these would apply to security guards in some schools now are these legitimate concerns or just red herrings well uh, let me first elaborate on something greg said and i, I want to be clear the way we train is, is called permission to live. The staff member has provided a set of skill sets that would actually allow them to attack a gunman. If the situation you described, if I'm in the room and they're shooting and we can't get out yet, what we're saying is when you spend four hours teaching people distraction techniques, throwing books, and the teacher has not had basic CPR, they've, not, they've never done, what we're saying is they've not done a reverse evacuation, a room fair protocol, a lot of basic life-saving functions aren't being taught by many schools. So, we want to be careful how we address this, but we're saying we need to address those things before we get into that and then understand the, the risks and dangers that could come with that type of approach. And as to arming personnel, I, I know educators and I know civilians that are far better qualified to handle a firearm in combat than 90% of the police officers in this country. And I have seen situations where those individuals, I can remember 20 years ago, a building administrator who on occasion did carry a gun when he for example, answered the burglar alarm at a school at 2 o'clock in the morning. But, you know, we're talking about, I think, here more the average teacher. And when you talk about school security and police personnel, that's, that's where the initiative of the individual district or school comes in. Our school police officers were much better trained than FBI agents. They got six weeks of academy training per officer per year. They qualified with their firearm once a month. They fired uh, 3,000 rounds of uh, duty, California ammunition per officer per year, by national standards, that is an astounding level of training, far above most state police and most large urban police departments. Okay, let me clarify a point because now I'm confused. At the top, you said that you train people in something called permission to live, wherein you do encourage them to attack the gunman. So are you saying that the option of attacking the gunman should or should not be considered by staff and students as a last resort? It is an option. However, it's not a focus. It's going to be a rare situation where the, the staff member can't be more effective in preventing death by other actions than, you know, having and using a firearm. You know, locking a door is often much more important than being able to shoot an aggressor. One door not getting locked quickly enough can represent most of the deaths and often does, 
in these types of situations. Very good, Michael. Thank you. Let's go now to Dr. Roberts. Ken Roberts, uh, you are a retired superintendent of the largest geographical school district in the nation. This week, you made a pretty rational case, I thought, for allowing staff to be armed in certain cases. Could you explain the rationale again for this group? Uh, very well. Um, the school district I have is 18,400 square miles. It is the largest geographical school district in the contiguous United States, Hawaii, and one last larger. The uh, vast remote territory that I have is seven separate towns and a number of hours traveled in vehicles without cell phone reception uh, and a, a two-hour response time by first responders is a concern for myself, uh, for the safety of the rural remote schools, uh, and not having school resource officers or sheriff deputies or ambulance covers coverage within 140 miles in some cases is a concern. Very good. Thank you, Colonel Roberts. We'll come back to you. There is a school down in Harrell, Texas, that has been allowing teachers and administrators to carry concealed weapons for some five years now without incident. What would be the rationale for not considering this school a test case to be followed in other districts? I'll start with you, Gregory Thomas. Well, I mean, it's not enough to be a test case where you need a control group. And I think in this case, you know, I don't know enough about that school to know if it's an urban school or rural school or suburban school and all the factors that go into play as it relates to how many students are in the building, what's their backgrounds, all these things that we're talking about now is the reason why you just can't make a decision in a vacuum to say yes in a wholesale way across the country because there are different factors that contribute to people's reasonings behind doing this. I respect Dr. Rob's opinion because one thing that I'm sure is driving this is the is the response time that could be uh, you know, made by local law enforcement to an event in a school. I'm spoiled here in New York City. I mean, my response time for any school is inside a minute, two minutes tops. They're there. Do you think that under the scenarios that Dr. Roberts discussed, that there's validity to arming school staff? No, no. I, I understand his reasoning behind thinking that's the reason why it should happen. I don't agree with it, but mm-hmm. I can understand that that's a factor going into consideration that people have regarding the need for um, you know, increasing response time or increasing the ability to have somebody on site that could you know, calm an issue down and that person being a, um, a teacher who's armed. But again, I don't agree with it. Good. And do you at least think that perhaps there should be a test to get some evidence on this? What are your thoughts on that? No, because the way that you prove it right or wrong is that an event has to happen. Then you you would have to have that person you're referring to or that school you're referring to engage the, the assailant and then, you know, have positive and negative results. So I, I, I say no, because you, the only way you can test that theory is to have an event occur. So I don't want that event to occur in the school. Got it. So don't even test it. Mike, uh, Michael, yes, let's go over to you. Your take. Should we even have a test on this sort of no, analysis? I, 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 well, again, you could train half the personnel in America, and you might not have a test case. And even if it did, it might, you know, the teachers that are trained might not be in the right part of the building. But again, I go back to when you listen to what Dr. Roberts is saying and, and listen to what Greg is saying, one thing, you know, we may, you know, people may disagree on this issue. But the way we see it is it is very situational. Uh, if I remember correctly from the other day, Dr. Roberts is a, a veteran, a military veteran with combat experience. And you, you have to factor, we see many educators who are retired state police officers and and, and others who have, an, I feel, an appropriate background. And when they're in that type of unique situation, like, you know, you're, you're in the middle of nowhere and you're not going to have someone there in any reasonable amount of time. So there, you have to keep in mind, like Greg says, there's no one size fits all. We, we, we tend to look at schools in our little bubble. What, is, what are my schools like, you know, here in Georgia or my part of Georgia? And, you know, if you work with, we work with schools in Hawaii. 
they are closer to schools in Vietnam in some of the mm-hmm. than schools in Iowa. They don't have glass in the windows, for example, in many schools in Hawaii because they don't need air conditioning. Michael, let me stop you there. Michael, Michael, let me stop you there so we can get some other people in because we're getting close sure. here. So thank you. I think we get sure. your point. Let's go back to Superintendent Roberts. Superintendent Roberts, do you feel that the policy regarding concealed weapons in your district is applicable to other school districts? Well, we don't have a policy in my district concerning that issue. We follow Nevada Revised Statute that um, lays out the uh, parameters about which uh, a principal may authorize the firearm to be on campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in Nevada, the principal has that authority, uh, primarily because there are rifle teams on a number of high schools throughout the, the state, and there are arms rooms within the high schools that contain those rifles, anywhere from a .177 caliber to a .22 caliber for rifle matches, sometimes shoulder to shoulder on the range or in the range of the, the various facilities. Just so we establish my position to be correct and knowledgeable, I'm not an advocate of arming school personnel. I'm saying that should be an option at the last measure. They should have an effective crisis management plan, should drill and practice, should have the installed panic buttons with uh, the, a safe uh, alert for education system where the, there's notification and allowed to, to uh, respond appropriately by viewing in the classroom. And then, you know, that the onus of school safety is on the local sheriff, uh, police, um, and school resource officers if you're fortunate enough to have those. And my position is only in a very last-ditch effort, hold the line, die, or, or die trying to protect a child. That's where I stand on this. Colonel Roberts, thank you very much for the unique perspective you brought to this discussion. Let's now open it up to our panel of educators who have been listening in the wings, presumably with some level of interest. People in the trenches who are having to deal with this one way or another with what's going on politically, it is quite possible that this may end up on your doorstep. So, Stephen Anderson, let's start with you because we know that you never have an opinion on anything, Stephen. Let's begin begin with you as an educator in the trenches. Based on what you've now heard, you've heard the facts. What is your opinion on allowing school staff to be armed? You know, I've been reflecting on everything that's been said, and there are very smart people who have contributed lots of wonderful information. My problem is that we're having this conversation about kids and about classrooms. Teachers having to to arm themselves to teach kids. I have a three-year-old who is at preschool right now. I don't want her in a classroom with a teacher who has a gun. I don't want her to be in a school where there are people who are walking around who have minimal amounts of training or who even have the most experienced training walking around armed who can, at a moment's notice, when they think something might be wrong or they perceive something is wrong, to shoot to kill someone. Even in my own district, sheriff's deputies have maced students who have maybe done something, maybe haven't done something that have caused huge uproars later to find out that the student wasn't doing anything wrong. I walk around in buildings all the time. I have a badge. I had a teacher the other day who stopped and said, hey, what are you doing here? What if that teacher had had a gun and didn't recognize me and said, hey, what are you doing here? And I didn't answer quick enough and she shot me. I don't want to work in a system that allows teachers to have guns. I want to work in a system that embraces kids and embraces learning and wants to provide environments that are safe for those kids. I don't feel that where a teacher has a gun is that situation. So uh, safe to say that you're not in favor of the idea, huh, Steve? (laughs) Definitely not. Very good. Let's move on to Nancy Blair. Well, I 
primarily agree with Stephen. Uh, I don't think that arming teachers is necessary nor, nor a desirable action. And I've worked in schools with resource officers, armed resource officers, and I don't object to an armed resource officer if you have the right person in the job because they typically become a valuable part of the environment. They, it's not that they're scary and they, they're intimidating. They become part of the school fabric and participate and interact with kids and build relationships. And then it's really a powerful, valuable experience. And so maybe Maybe that's a middle ground. And I agree with Stephen. This conversation is so disturbing. You know, we can't even keep up with training teachers to do their job. The instructional training, we can't even keep up with that. And now we're going to take time to teach people on a very minimal what if. Fair enough, Nancy. I get your point. Let's move on to Thomas Whitby. Thomas, what say you? We fight every day for school districts to prioritize professional development just to teach teachers to teach. And now we're going to ask them to teach teachers to take on armed defenders. It's just crazy. But the other thing that we're not even considering, if in fact we did have armed teachers, one of the things that I learned from the, from the recent shooting was that all of the police forces now are trained because of the number of school shootings that we've had to go in and to sweep these schools and shoot the perpetrators. Now, if they have to go in there knowing that there are also armed teachers, they're going to have to hesitate at every movement, which is going to put more people in danger. And the other thing is, even if we did do that and we did train these teachers, the cost of training these teachers is going to eliminate some teachers' jobs because budgets now are cut to the point where more and more teachers are being fired because they see that as a cost-saving thing. Now, when we add this into the mix, it's going to even cost more jobs. What are we here for at this point? You know, we're not here as, as defenders, but we're here as educators. Fair enough, Tom. Let me pause you there. And uh, Angela, let's move on to you for your perspective. Thanks, Errol. I think one of the most important things said today was the difference between what our focus is and what our options are. And I think we're basing an entire discussion on options. I'm from Iowa, and I work in schools like Hawaii, and I work in really, really um, diverse demographics where that response time and, and that ability absolutely has to be weighed as a pro and con. But going back to what Stephen and Tom and many of you have said, the focus absolutely has to be in schools about teaching and learning and, and adding this layer into it, safety beyond what we're doing in safety. I'm sitting here, and it's surreal that we're talking about it. So the diligence in which we have to, in the same way we do for preparation, here in Iowa where a tornado drill is in the DNA of an Iowa kid. So being drilled into the DNA, different crisis preparations and training that that becomes just a part of what we do, certainly that's important. But I think instead of talking about arming teachers with guns, we need to arm teachers with cell phones. The thing that got the responders there was a text sent in a closet from one of the aides to her son who worked at the office. So we're banning our most powerful tool for responding and our powerful tool for alerting, and we're not allowing teachers to have cell phones, let alone kids have cell phones. And if we trained and used social media in a way that can advance the system and can create guidelines for what happens when, God forbid, incidents like this or anything less than this, that's worthy of the training. Thank you very yeah. much. Very Thank insightful, you. actually. Interesting point of view. I have not heard the one before. Let's go now to Jerry Blumengarten, our second most unopinionated person on the panel. Jerry? <laughs> okay. Uh, thank you. First of all, I worked in the inner city in a very high crime area in New York City. Uh, I was comfortable when we did have an armed police, New York City police officer in our building. 
I would be very concerned, as Steve, Tom, and Angela and everyone else mentioned, uh, schools are for learning. That is their main purpose. Teachers are trained to facilitate the learning of students. I'd be very uncomfortable with them carrying weapons or having weapons in the school unless it's someone who has extensive training in the use of weapons, and that, that would be security people, as mentioned by uh, our panel experts. Okay, let's wrap it up. I'd like to go around the table and ask a simple question of each of you. Our objective today was actually very narrow. It was to have a thoughtful, sober, factual conversation on whether or not allowing school personnel to carry concealed weapons has any merit whatsoever. My question for the exit, starting with the experts at the top, do you think it was constructive to at least have this discussion? Gregory Thomas. Sure I do. It's always important to have spirited discussions with people with, you know, diverse backgrounds because it gives you a chance to at least to flesh out all the, as you did, you know, very well, pros and cons and, and things that lie in the gray area. I just think that's important that these things happen more at a national level rather than just being localized because it's important that voices like this are heard all across the country in, in this debate. That's very good, Gregory. Thank you. By the way, the best friend I've ever had in life. His name is Gregory Thomas, so I feel like I know you and love you. <laughs> Thank you very much. We go on to you, uh, Michael Dorn. Well, you know, I'm not sure it's the most productive use of time. I don't mean just this call, but as we're looking at this issue, I, I would again, you know, and, and I'm not, I, I have a gun permit. I do carry a gun sometimes. Uh, and the most people I don't think are aware of the mall shooting in Oregon was stopped by a gun permit holder. And like most uses of a gun in self-defense, not a shot was fired. He pulled the gun. He didn't shoot because it was bystanders, but the subject saw that and committed suicide. And, you know, I don't mind talking about it, but I think we could have given teachers more information to help them save lives in the amount of time that's been spent. And I, I say that in context of the broader discussion on school safety. We, we need to focus on where we care our biggest game. Got it. Very good. Thank you very much, Michael. Really appreciate it. I know that you are very busy these days, receiving lots of calls. So thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Colonel Robert, yes or no? Productive discussion? I believe it's a productive discussion. Anytime we can get together and share experiences and ex explain situational differences throughout the United States, that no two school districts are alike. Decisions have to be made locally. But I, I thank you for the opportunity, and uh, I don't have the answer. But my greatest fear as a superintendent was that I would have a, ki a child killed on my watch. Thank yeah. God I will never have to bear that burden. Thank you very much, uh, Colonel Roberts. Thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Very quickly, Stephen, please. I, I do think it's productive. I always enjoy a, a conversation that has my thinking pushed. Uh, I, it, it's still disappointing and very sad to me that we have to have this conversation. I understand why we're having it, but it's still... The, the, the focus in, in school should be on teaching and learning, not uh, uh, making sure that teachers uh, have guns uh, on them at all times. Good. Thank you very much, Nancy Blair. Your exit comment, productive, non-productive? Yes, I think it's productive because it's important to get these different points of view and experiences, and it really clarifies that there is no wholesale solution. You know, I'm reminded of a quote that if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, mm -hmm. and and we're not in that circumstance in schools. And, and so I can see all sides of this issue, and that was brought out in this conversation, that there are circumstances, uh, extreme circumstances, where it might be appropriate and others where it's completely inappropriate. And I think by far the majority, it's completely inappropriate. Very good. Thank you, Nancy Blair. Thomas Whitby, over to you. Yeah, it, it's, you know, it's very difficult to eliminate the emotion. When, when people talk about this, especially in light of what's, what's gone on. But, but if we can eliminate the, the demagoguery and the, and the propaganda that enters into all of these conversations and, and have rational discussions about reasonable 
things to do. I, I think that's always good. I just hope that we're able to share this discussion that we have with a, with a much larger audience. Thank you, Tom. Angela, your take. Good discussion, worthwhile, or complete waste of time? It, absolutely worthwhile, with one caveat. It, it will not be worthwhile if we don't make um, our, hold ourselves accountable as both the team today and moving the message forward to, to use the platforms we have available and provide not only the access to these discussions, but a space where we can put ideas, thoughts, resources, information, because the people on the front line don't have time to listen to all this. And then they're getting a piece here and a piece there. And so they're going to go into schools tomorrow and they're going to look at kids tomorrow and they're going to try to make decisions at a local and a, at, a, at a national and global level. And I'm not sure their decisions will be informed. And so there has to be a place and a space so that we can put not only information, resources, different perspectives in the dialogue, but actually concrete, actionable things that can be done tomorrow and in, in, and in the immediacy as these long-term policies and procedures get, get worked out. So I guess I'm challenging the group then to take this to a space that, that is thoughtful, that, that says, here's some research, here's this, here's some options. So there's, there's something actionable, what we can share with, with immediate communities. Sounds right, Angela. Wise words. We go over to you, Jerry. Yes, it was a very valuable discussion. We should be talking about the pros and cons, and we should come up with a concrete plan because we really must ensure the safety of all our students and staff members in our schools. Jerry, thank you very much. I agree with you all. This is a very difficult discussion. The objective, as mentioned at the top, was to have a thoughtful, sober, rational discussion on the issue. From where I sit, I think we accomplished that. We were able to talk about it. No one was bitten. No one was shot. I don't think anyone's going to meet anyone in the parking lot for our reprisals <laughs> afterwards. So I think we've set a model. And frankly, I think that one of the things that we overlook is that as a culture, we have either modeled civil disagreement or we have modeled conflict. And more often than not, when we don't agree, we fight, yell, shout, speak over, etc. So doing this, I think, is a good step in the right direction. Thank you all for being with us. For the BAM Radio Network, I'm Earl St. Clair Smith. Thanks for listening.